Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good morning. Josh Jenkins filling in for, effectively, the fill-in. Julian DeStoop, who was filling in for someone on SEN Breakfast, but an absolute pleasure uh, to be here this morning on Summer Mornings. Now, I want to start with uh, I want to start with the footy, but there's plenty happening in the world of sport, of course. The Australian Open is in full swing. The hoops are busy both here in Australia and over in America. There's plenty of horse racing. There's golf. There's cricket. The BBL's in full swing. We saw a great game last night, particularly if you're a Renegades fan. So we'll get across all that and more across the next three hours. But An AFL premiership is never won at the end of January, but there are plenty that are lost at this time of the calendar year. An injury hiccup for any player at the end of January makes you feel real nervous. Sure, you can be confident if you've knocked off a couple of months of hard training beforehand, but from now across the next month, teams will begin to hone in on the physical side of the game. The next month or so is when players really go and uh, nail down contested marking, full-on tackling. They endure more game-specific drills and match simulations. They'll lay almost everything on the line to ensure them as an individual and the team as a whole are on the right path toward round one. Slip-ups at this time of the year cost you a season. A night out leads to poor sleep and poor recovery, leads to a soft tissue uh, injury during a 35-degree, 14-kilometre training session. A niggle at this time of the year is treated like a long-term injury. You'll be nursed back to 110% health, meaning you'll likely miss plenty of the match simulation and maybe the only official practice match that is on offer. Then, all of a sudden, you're entering round one off the back of little to no match practice. You're uncertain of how your body will cope with being behind the rest of the group and the rest of the competition. Get everything right. If you've got 44 healthy players leading into February and March and the world is your oyster. Clubs often know what's in store for them for the upcoming season based on the health and readiness of their squad. They'll never say it publicly, but often they know. The key number is 80. If you have 80% of your playing squad, complete 80% of the preseason, you're in a great position to attack the season. But, If you've got a handful or more dip below the 80% training threshold, then life gets invariably harder from there. Because injuries come and go, players will play at least some of the season with niggles and knocks. We know and accept that. But they can overcome those things. However, starting the season with an injury or a niggle or a knock compounds your inevitable issues of the future. So from a health and well-being perspective, who or what do you want to see happen for your squad? Who do you least want to wake up and see on afl.com or the sen.com.au platforms with a hammy strain or a niggling calf complaint? For the Cats, maybe it's the Mr. Everywhere man, Mark Blitzavs. For Richmond, I think it was clear that when Tom Lynch was out last year, their fortunes dipped significantly. And when he returned, they were a dangerous outfit. 
for the Swans. Perhaps it's Isaac Heaney, the forward midfielder who can break a game apart. Is Nick Nat still the guy out west, or is it is it a, is it a time where Oscar Allen is the one that Eagles fans want to see wound up? You tell me. Your club is ramping up absolutely everything: match practice, contact training, tackling, marking, running, changes of direction, more mechanical work. Who are you praying comes through those drills unscathed and in perfect condition? You tell me. Jump on the open line for EFS delivering simple freight solutions. One three hundred seven three six. 736, who is the player from your club that you'd least like to see go down at this time of the year? Even if it's a a small little niggle, who's the player you just want to get through absolutely unscathed and ready to rock and roll? The McCafe menu today, it's jam-packed as always. Mark Woodford's going to join us at about 9.20. The Australian Open is in full swing. There are some big things happening. We've got to the business end of the tournament, so Mark Woodford will break it all down for us. Liam Santa Maria uh, is uh, going to be in the house after 9.30. He's uh, going to talk all things hoops, and there's plenty happening in the NBL. We are getting closer to the uh, very first uh, play-in tournament. We've seen it in the NBA. We'll see it in the NBL. Wayne Hawks will join us in the studio uh, from 10 a.m., and he's always good for a chat and a laugh when it comes to the world of racing and beyond. Golf for Hayden Hopewell. Uh, will speak to us as well in the 10 to 11 hour. And then the Melbourne uh, Renegades, Matt Critchley, will uh, join us as well as Cam Young, a man who uh, you may not know, but I know well he is uh, a man who is going to attempt and hopefully complete a marathon pushing a pram with his son Iggy uh, in the pram who suffers from cerebral palsy. So that's going to be an incredible story. And we'll speak to Cam Young after 11.20. But... Uh, the lines are open. Jump on them. The ENF, EFS open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. George has done exactly that. He's a Richmond uh, supporter and uh, wants to tell us the player he least wants to see go down. George, good morning. G'day, fella. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously copped the news the other week that a young Josh Gibkiss is is out with a out with a, a, a pretty bad hamstring. Is all they could give us. Really hoping they can replace the young boy. Uh, with another another decent defender. Yeah, I'm hearing you. That's the perfect example. You, you, you wake up or you you see the news and Josh Gibkiss is down. That's just the exact uh, the exact example that I was speaking of. And how, how did you? How, what were your thoughts when you saw the young man was going to be? You know, clearly it's not going to be a long term thing, but uh, not great at this time of the year to see someone of that of that level of talent. You expect him to do so much and grow so much this year, but to start the season with an injury. I imagine was no good, George. No, it's just, just shattering. Like, well, I say shattering. It wasn't entirely heartbreaking, but you want to see a young fella, you know, come into his second season with a really good preseason and run straight into it because they've clearly invested a lot of stock into him with a, with a high-end draft pick and all that sort of stuff. I mean, everyone doesn't want to see... A, everyone wants to see Dustin Martin and, and all the good big fellas uh, pull up strong, but... Very important for these young kids in the future to come through correctly. It is. I like it, George. And that's the perfect example. Thanks for your call. Uh, Braden's in Newbank. Uh, got a little bit of MVP a chatter for me. Good morning, Braden. How are you, mate? Good. Going well, thank you. That's good. Yeah, I'm a Pi supporter. So I was thinking Bowie McQuarrie. I think um, last year, everyone saw how good his tackling pressure was. I think he's one of those players that kicked the gym pretty hard going into this season. I think he'll have a pretty um, explosive year for the Pies. I like it. I like it. Is he now? I I I like it, and I love the way he goes about it. But is he the one you'd least like to see go down as a, a from the pies? Uh, 
above a above a Darcy Moore or a well maybe maybe he is maybe he is I like it Luke's in Packenham uh you want to uh, mention someone from the uh, mighty Navy Blues Luke good morning morning how are you going well thanks Luke that's good yeah um, I think for Carlton would be uh, devastating if we lost Charlie Kerno. Yeah. after he's been out for so many years. Yeah, well, I think we've seen uh, what life looks like without Charlie Kerno and what it looks like with him, and uh, uh, there's a fair uh, difference. So I like that. If it wasn't Charlie, it's probably the man at the other end, Jacob Wiedering. Would that be fair, Luke? Yeah, yeah. There's, oh, there'd be a handful of players you don't want to see, but, yeah, um, yeah, Wiedering would be the other one at the end. And, then, and obviously we're already down um, Walsh, so which hurts us, but... Yeah, so hopefully we don't lose too many more midfielders either. I, yeah, well, I was going to say, I imagine when you read the uh, story about Sam Walsh that uh, it wasn't that didn't make for great reading. No, no. Hopefully we can still get the top four, though. Yeah, good luck, Luke. I, uh, I think uh, a lot of footy fans are keen to see uh, Carlton do well. I liked what they did last year, and uh, hopefully they can... Uh, keep on keeping on. There's plenty uh, off the 40 Winks temper text as well, as always. Uh, Richmond's is always Dion Prestia. When he's, if his hammy goes, we struggle. That's uh, from John. That's a very astute pick. And we're not necessarily, we know about Dusty and we know about Dangerfield or we know about Tom Hawkins, but it's, it's that, it's that glue guy that you just don't want to see go down. And I mentioned Mark Blitzabs for Geelong and he's probably the one uh, at the Cats, but uh, I think an Oscar Allen type is, you know, with Josh Kennedy gone, Jack Darling's not getting any, any uh, younger, uh, not that any of us are, but uh, there's there's always a few that just lie beneath the surface. Uh, Troy in Ballarat says for the dogs, he's he's labelled a few of the obvious ones, but the Bont, big uh, big English, Jones and Lobb. So a couple of recruits already for Troy that he doesn't want to see uh, go down. For the Hawks, this is from Dean. I don't want to see Mitch Lewis or CJ with any injuries. They're two important guys. Mitch Lewis had a great season, but did... Missed some time last year. Drake, uh, Jake Stringer is the one uh, labelled from the Bombers. Uh, JJ is a D's man. Uh, not that, uh, not, we don't want Big Max to have a niggle, but if Clayton Oliver goes down, the D's would be hurting massively, and I absolutely agree with that. Sam Draper is irreplaceable at the Bombers, the only bloke on the list with a bit of grunt. Brett from Bunyip, that's a bit harsh, but he certainly does have a bit of grunt. Uh, David's jumped on the line. He's in Mernda, wants to talk about the Saints. G'day, Dave. Yeah, g'day, JJ. Um, yeah, I reckon an extremely important one for St Kilda. It would have to be Callum Wilkie. I reckon just he's a stalwart down there. We've seen what happened when Dougal Howard went out. So, obviously, if Callum Wilkie's out, um, I think he's got some big issues with St Kilda. Yeah, he's a, he is a superb player, Callum Wilkie. Uh, sort of a medium-sized defender who can play tall or small. He's a good kick. I love that one, Dave. Uh, thanks for the call. Jason's in Bunyip. Uh, you've got a bomber for us? Yeah, no, just the other bloke said Sam Draper. He's, he's the up and go for us. Yeah. You know, gutsy bloke. He's got some mongrel, but gets us going as well. So he's a bit like, well, I don't want to say it like this, but he's a bit like Max Gorn from Melbourne. If he's going, we're going well. What's, so. his, what's his ceiling, Jason, do you reckon? What's his, how, how, how good a ruckman do you think he can be one of the top two or three ruckmen in the game? How quickly do you think he can elevate? He'll be in the top three by the end of this season, if not next. I like it. There you go. Big call. Sam Draper in the top three ruckman at the end of this season or next. Thanks for your call, Jason. And uh, I tend to agree. I was a bit slow to the Sam Draper party, but uh, 
he's certainly the heart and soul of the Bombers. He's uh, When he plays well, the Bombers seem to play well. And I think a lot of clubs, a lot of teams uh, at any level, when, a, when you've got a big ruckman dominating, uh, things are going, going to go well for you. This is from uh, Matt, uh, Collingwood supporter here. If Maynard or Crisp go down... It will be huge trouble for the Pies. That's uh, probably or definitely true. Stephen May, uh, nomination for him. The D's really struggled without him last year. That's accurate. I think whenever you've got that big key pillar uh, down back, it is an issue uh, if you lose them. We saw that with uh, Carlton and Jacob Weedering as well. So uh, yeah, some plenty, uh, plenty of good nominations there. Uh, Saad's been uh, nominated for the Blues as well. He missed some time, and uh, the uh, the Blues lost his run already. Uh, JJ, the Saints are already stuffed. Well, that's a bit harsh. They haven't lost a game yet, so just uh, hang tough if you're a Saints fan. Let's get to the first break because uh, on the other side, we're going to speak to uh, Mark Woodford, who is an SEN tennis expert. going to break down all things Australian Open for us on the other side. Welcome back. Two mornings for the Hyundai Tucson uh, Turbo Diesel in stock now. Our next guest is uh, an SEN tennis expert. He's a global tennis expert. His name is Mark Woodford, and he's been good enough to join us on the line. Mark, good morning. Uh, good morning. How are things? Uh, things are going well, and we can hear your work on SEN for the uh, big clash between uh, Novak Djokovic and uh, Andre Rublev tonight. But last night... Uh, sits a pass, the big Greek. He got it done easily over Lehechka. And he looks to be, to me, to my untrained eye, he looks to be the the, 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 the number one tra- uh, challenger to Novak Djokovic. Is that how you see it? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Um, you know, the big Greek played a big game last night. Um, uh, and I, I, I think he is one of those guys um, that can trouble Novak Djokovic um, if it ends up uh, playing against each other in, in the final. But uh, I, I thought he was quite polished last night. He played against uh, Yuri Lechka, who has been a surprise packet for the tournament, and he's got a bright future ahead of him. But uh, Stefanos was uh, just a, a level or two above his opponent. It was a polished performance throughout, uh, except for the, I guess, the scary little incident where where the, 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 the ball was hitting in anger and almost took out a young yeah. uh, ball kid. What's the what's the I guess the protocol there? Just I guess the human element has to come in if if the ball makes contact with the kid. But what happens there if if the ball does make some contact? Yeah, unfortunately, the protocol is uh, the player if they do hit to any any official, uh, and that includes the the ball kids mm. um, on the full uh, that it is uh, deemed to be an, an instant default. Um, but I, I think in the, you know in in that instance, um, I, I remember watching it uh, live at the time, and I was w- working with Jordan in in the booth there, and um, I, I did kind of like. Oh, you know, you pause, mm. you, you concern. Um, maybe the chair umpire might have, you know, tried to make an assessment, um, you know, in regards, you know, if it had had uh, hit the ball kid on the full. Look, he was very frustrated, and it's and it doesn't, uh, you, you know, excuse, you, you know, but the the possible incident that could have occurred. But he hit the backboard. Um, uh, first, and it just it ricocheted past the ball kid. I'm not sure whether it, it, it did graze the ball kid, but at the same time, it's one of those 
that it's just sliding doors moment. The ball mm. kid was moving mm. to try and collect the ball or clear the ball. Um, and, and that's where um, it, 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 it's just the timing of it. But I'm glad that, uh, you know, it hit the backboard first. And, uh, um, you know, really it uh, was a, a maybe a storm in a teacup. You were uh, very level-headed when you played, but did you ever have something similar? Did you ever uh, give the ball a whack and think, oh, no, please don't hit anyone? Yeah, you, you know, I, I think with uh, tennis players, we pr- probably can look back and, and uh, there have been moments or two that you, you, you uh, reflect and say, wow, was I fortunate um, or was I an absolute uh, idiot for, for behaving or, or, or acting that way? And, yeah, I, look, I had a, a, an incident probably in, in one of my early years of travelling in Europe, playing a, at a small tournament in Spain and uh, uh, on the clay courts, absolutely frustrated, the surface, the opponent, uh, uh, learning how to play the game, you know, uh, and, and I did hit a ball uh, into the surface um, after losing my serve and, you know, just hit it behind me. But I hit it with, you know, with anger, uh, with frustration. Uh, and after it hit the surface, it actually then landed in the crowd. And it, uh, uh, I, I, I didn't see it hit someone, but the, the way that the crowd were uh, started to whistle and uh, <laughs> kind of gave me a lot of grief. <laughs> and I had all the death glare going on. And I was like, uh-oh. Um, and I... I, well, I did lose the match in the end. I think uh, they applauded that I was on out of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> in the other uh, quarterfinal yesterday, we saw uh, Kachanov get the job done over over Seb Quarter, and in the end, seven six six three three love with a with a walkover at the end. I mean, we can never put ourselves in the shoes of of someone else, and we should never try and judge someone in terms of how injured they are or are not. And Novak Djokovic is a great example of that. But it is disappointing, yeah. isn't it? And it does probably on paper look a little uh, dissatisfactory to see Quarter uh, not be able to finish the game when we're only three games away potentially from that game being officially ended. Yeah, yeah look, he, he's, uh, he's an athletic, well-built guy, but uh, it, it, over the past 12 months, he's had moments with uh, his body that he hasn't, he's gone through these growth spurts. And, uh, you know, I think he he's ha- had periods where it's been tough to manage some of these niggles um, and, and being told to rest. He's played a lot of tennis over the summer. Uh, you, you know, that began with a, a final uh, showing uh, in Adelaide. Um, and maybe it's just the accumulation, uh, you know, hitting so many balls um, that, that really got to uh, affected, you, you know, quarters, um, ability to finish the match out. It's a tough decision that you go through. Your, your mind is racing as mm. it is. You're already having to deal with that. You're, you're behind and you, you start to, you know, this this little battle uh, in, mentally on the change of ends with yourself that, you know, has it affected my performance? Is that the reason why I'm behind? And then you start to think of the rest of the season that is about to unfold. Uh, and if he can play, the level of tennis that he's shown, not just here in at, at the AO, but in the build-up, you know, it's going to be a big year. So it's it's you know he's probably just come to that uh, safe conclusion that uh, better for him to stop and start some rehab so that he can be ready for you know the the next bunch of tournaments coming up in the US. And what about the performance of of 
of the mum versus the, the heiress. Uh, Victoria Azarenka in in fine form, winning that game against Jessica, that match against Jessica Pagula, six four six one. Azarenka's in as good a form as was we've ever seen, and that's saying something considering you know how dominant she's been in the past. So it's been uh, r- remarkable, and that's what happens when I think as a as a player, you, if you look at the draw and you you sense you, you feel that you're in good form, that mm. you uh, you're in great shape, and then the draw, you look at it and you make that assessment, you get inspired, uh, you feel like it's going your way. Azarenka has played the last three matches on RLA, which is which is a great effort, and, and again, it's just sometimes. The, the, the fortunate experience of way the way that they are doing the order of play. So fantastic result. I mean, she's reliving some of her form from a decade ago, but uh, um, yeah, experience is what's getting her through. Still a couple of matches away from the title, but uh, you, you know, she's, she's just got such a, a tremendous, tremendous fight and so offensive that it was tough for Pagula to defend. Now, you're on the call tonight of the big one. Uh, Rublev against Djokovic, the number four versus number five seed at Hapar 7 on uh, Rod Laver Arena. What do you expect to happen? Is, can we, do we, should, we, should we think Djokovic might really steamroll through this game or are we going to see a really hard-fought contest? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it it's, uh, blows my mind that we're saying the number four seed against the number five. <laughs> it does seed. sound you strange. I think, what? Yeah, like <laughs> Djokovic at number five. <laughs> and at times when I've been commentating his matches and I, I go to refer to him as uh, the number one, uh, the number yeah. five seed for the moment. Uh, but look, he played like the number one seed uh, in, in the previous match against Demon. Uh, that sent such a strong signal uh, reverberated around the all of Melbourne, um, let alone the, the rest of the guys. And I'm sure Rublev, as he mentioned after his last round, that he was hoping that it wouldn't be really Djokovic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I think Rublev probably hits the ball a little stronger, a little firmer than what Alex Dean are, but similar game uh, in general terms. And, and so that's his ominous signs for, for Djokovic. Um, I, I think it, it'll be interesting to see whether he can actually play it again at that same level that he did in the previous round. He's, he's got so much depth and uh, choices, options against Rublev, who's not always comfortable transitioning forward. And, and I think tonight, you know, that we, we might see those, uh, 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 shots that Djokovic will play to try and draw Rublev into a very uncomfortable position. And I, uh, on the court, I, I just don't envy Rublev. Um, look, he's going to have to bring out the bazooka forehand and backhand again. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting contest and one we uh, look forward to watching, watching and listening and we'll be able to hear you on the call this evening. Mark Woodford, uh, thanks very much for your time and enjoy that big one tonight. Yeah, cheers. Look, cheers. Looking forward to it very much. There, there's uh, Mark Woodford, uh, SEN tennis expert, and he'll be on the call tonight for Novak Djokovic against Andre Rublev. Uh, it's 9.31. Let's go to the newsroom. Welcome back to Mornings. Uh, our next guest is uh, the best in the business when it comes to uh, NBL analysis. His name is Liam Santamaria, and he's been good enough to give us a few minutes of his time this morning. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Good to be with you, mate. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Uh, what's happening at the moment? I noticed I was, I'm a big fan of NBL overtime. I noticed a, 
well, the seat wasn't vacant, but it felt vacant because of uh, your absence. <laughs> so you're AWOL. What are you up to uh, at the moment? I'm in the nation's capital. It's a beautiful morning here in Canberra. Um, I've actually just pulled over uh, five minutes away from, from landing at the AIS. I'm up here watching um, the Basketball Australia National Performance Camp. Um, so the, some of the top young talent in the country, a three-day camp, um, athletes born in, in 2006 and 2007. So, look, they're a couple of years away from, from potentially stepping on the NBL hardwood. But um, we're tracking these kids closely. Heaps of really, really great talent on display and um, just keeping a close eye on them all. And you're a man of many talents. Of course, we, we know your work uh, in the commentary booth uh, on uh, ESPN and, and, and Peach and those uh, types of things. But also, you're the GM of Next Stars Recruitment. So, to me, and I've been following along with the uh, Bronny James Jr. story, that would lead me to think you are the primary uh, man in charge of luring the young gun. Well, let's see if we can get it done. Hey, Josh, uh, we're up against some pretty stiff competition. Uh, mm. Of course, you know, he's, um, you know, he's a man in demand. The, the McDonald's All-American uh, players were uh, announced last night, named last night, and, and he was one of, those, one of those players. He's the only one who's still uncommitted as to what he's going to be doing next year. And, look, we know that um, you know, he's got some, some great opportunities at the collegiate level. There's reporting that he's narrowed his choices down there to Oregon and Ohio State and USC. Um, but, look, we also offer a really great pro option as well. It's a proven pathway. We've seen uh, it work for players from the States. Lamelo Ball is a mm. spectacular example. We've seen it work for guys here in Australia, Josh Giddy of of course, and, and also players from elsewhere around the world. Rayan Rupert is, is doing great things uh, as a French teenager for the New Zealand Breakers right now. So it's a, it's a proven pathway. It's an option, and um, you know, we've certainly reached out, and you know, wouldn't it be an amazing thing to see him? It's a, it's a long shot. It's the longest of long shots, Josh, but you've got to be in it to win it. You've got to have a uh, ticket in the lottery, otherwise you can't win. Uh, what sort of a player, how... How, how would you describe him? I'm, you probably haven't been able to scout him as closely as you would like to to give a, a an overview, but what, what type of player is he? looks like he's got a nicer stroke than the old man, which is saying something because his old man's going to be the uh, all-time leading scorer at some point. But he looks like he can shoot the three. Clearly, incredibly athletic, doing some amazing dunks in games. So what type yeah. of player uh, does he look like becoming? Yeah, I mean, he's a playmaking wing. Um, you know, he's a, he's a sort of a a two predominantly, but um, I tell you, you know, like he's got a really, really intriguing skill set and he has um, vaulted himself up into pro considerations over the past 12 months. Now, you know, he was always going to get looks and opportunities as the son of, of LeBron, but man, his game has really developed over the past 12 months. His, his um, athleticism has really started to pop. He's soaring above the rim now at every opportunity. As you say, he can really shoot the ball, but um, you know, his ability to impact the game defensively, to play make and set up his teammates. Like, he's the man at his school right now, Sierra Canyon, uh, doing really good things. And he's, he's vaulting up the rankings. As I said, he's a McDonald's All-American now. So, look, there were some question marks maybe, you know, nine, 12 months ago about a hold-on. Like, is it, is it the real deal that he could potentially play in the NBA? But, man, he's taken some big leaps over that period of time. And, um, you know, he's a fascinating prospect. He certainly is, and uh, we look forward to following his progress, hopefully, here in the NBL. Who knows? You've got to be in it 
uh, to win it. Melbourne United, uh, they are, I want to talk about them because to me, they look like the most informed team in the competition. Uh, you know, winning 10 of their past 12 speaks for itself, but they are a deep squad. They're, they're versatile. Ray John Tucker looks like he stepped up and become that alpha for them. Marcus Lee has added so much. And I spoke to Dean Vickerman on this program uh, a few days ago, and he spoke about the ability to have an import who you don't don't need to have to run things for and have to have things go through him is so valuable. Mm-hmm. So what have you mm-hmm. seen from Melbourne United across these past couple of months? Well, they've been one of the hottest teams in the league, arguably the hottest um, since they, they started to turn their season around. Um, and it's been really fascinating because they had they had a really disrupted start to the season. Uh, they had their group together. They had their, their squad. I, I had high expectations of them. We know Dean Vickerman is a sensational coach, three-time championship winner. Melbourne United's never missed the playoffs which with him at the helm. Um, but then they suffered some big setbacks. Ariel hook Porty, who was going to be their starting centre, goes down with the snapped Achilles. And then Shailili's concussion issues were, um, were underway, and, and he was missing a big chunk of games at the start of the season. So they didn't have their starting point guard, didn't have their starting centre, so their roster was all out of whack. Uh, Xavier Rattan-May starting at the one, and they had um, you know Isaac Humphreys. They had to really expedite his... Um, uh, advancement into the season after you know coming back from injury. It was all a bit out of whack and they weren't winning games. So then they changed things up from an import perspective. They bring in Marcus Lee and say, all right, he's our starting centre. Um, and uh, Shea Yilly made his way back into the lineup eventually and that's when things really started to turn around. And if you look at it from a Dean Vickerman or a front office perspective, you say, well, great. I mean, that's the roster. That's the kind of team that we thought we were going to get when we put it together. Um, and they've been steamrolling their way back into the season and then towards the playoffs right now. They've got a really good mix. Ratan May is off the bench. Is What a spark plug and a, and a weapon he is. And you're right, Ray John Tucker, midway through the season, made some adjustments to the way he was approaching things, and he's been destroying uh, opponents ever since. The big question for me now, cup two games remaining in the regular season and, and possibly um, you know an appearance in that play-in tournament, how do they go without Shayili? Now, mm. I, I haven't seen any official word from Melbourne United. Did, did Dean Vickerman speak he, to you about Shayili? Yeah, Shayilli? he just kind of mentioned concussion, uh, mm. which I think is that's a second concussion for the season. Am I? I, I think a, it's a third. Third. Well, there you go. Yeah. So that that makes it even more serious. And um, yeah, I'd imagine I'd imagine that uh, we won't see him. We certainly won't see him for sort of the next few days, but. Yeah, uh, three concussions. We've seen what's been happening across the world. So I guess they nearly need to plan for life without Shaili. And if he returns, that's a bonus, right? Hundred percent. I would be sh- honestly, I'd be shocked if we saw him on the court again this season mm, from, yeah. a, from a player welfare perspective. Yep. So yep. we we've seen how important he is to that group as the, as a as a um, point of attack defensively, um, as a guy who sets up his teammates and get Chris Golding the rock early in games and gets him going. So. How does it go now without Shayeli? Their record without him this season isn't pretty, and um, you know they they've you know got some big games ahead of them in these next couple of weeks. They most certainly do. Another team who I want to talk about who have who have made changes to the roster and not necessarily the ones we all thought sitting on the sidelines thought they would. We thought the Perth Wildcats might add some size and mm. some rebounding, but they're all in on scoring. 
they're all in on speed. They're all in on shooting the rock. And Ty Webster mm. adds another punch, doesn't he? Another element to that playmaking uh, three-headed monster they've now got with Bryce Cotton, his brother Corey, and Ty. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're a scoring machine. That team right now. Um, yeah, just putting up massive amounts of points. And you're right. That's that they sort of lent in to their strength. Mm. Um, we've been talking about how poor they are defensively, how poor they are on the defensive glass. And, um, you know, Ty Webster was available. They they backed into Sean Thomas and Brady Manick. Those guys have been really good in the second half of the season. They bring Webster in and they shorten their rotation and they say, hey, listen, we're going to put a whole bunch of points on the board. So as a result, right now, uh, you know, a couple of weeks out from the end of the regular season, they lead the league in offensive efficiency and they're last defensively. <laughs> <laughs> so the numbers back up what we're seeing on the floor. And um, it's, it's an interesting situation because, you know, they had that three-game winning streak recently, gave up 90-plus points mm. in every one of those games, but they won them all. So, um, you know, the ability to just outscore their opponents, but then they come to South East Melbourne, they got beasted on the glass, they couldn't keep them out of the paint. Uh, they were giving up open shots on the perimeter and they and the Phoenix put 112 on the board. So you're not going to beat a team if they're scoring that much. I don't think the Wildcats can win the title playing this way. You just don't see that in the NBL. Mm. A team giving up 90-plus points every game, um, winning enough in the cut and thrust of the postseason, but... Oh, boy, I tell you what, they're very fun to watch in the meantime. They are. They're very fun to watch. The real deal, John, really, he's, uh, he's all in on the offensive end. Uh, a couple of quick ones before we go, and a really serious and scary incident uh, was reported across the uh, earlier parts of the week with Harry Froling uh, mm. suffering a, a, an att- or from an attack in, in the early hours of the morning, and, and we've read all about that. So uh, everyone's thoughts are with Harry and, and, and the Brisbane Bullets at the moment. Big time. What a, what a horrible thing to happen. Um, disgusting, disgraceful thing to happen. And, and you're right, our, our thoughts are with Harry. He's, um, there's a, man, there's been some fascinating reporting, some really detailed reporting about what happened, but there's still a lot of questions to be mm. answered about what's taken place here and how it was, how it was able to happen um, the way that it did. But the, the bottom line is that, you know, Harry's had to have emergency surgery mm. um, and, uh, you know, he's, reportedly in a stable condition, but man, our thoughts are with him and, and his family now and are hoping for a speedy and, and full recovery. Um, and, you know, we condemn, obviously I condemn, I think the entire NBL community, I really, I think the entire wider community condemns that type of, type of violence, no place for it. And, and hopefully Harry can pull, he's not going to play again this season, but hopefully he can pull through okay and, and uh, you know, get back to full health. Absolutely echo those thoughts. Quick one, Liam, before we let you go. Uh, a big game tonight, South East Melbourne Phoenix hosting uh, the Taipans. The Snakes just keep on keeping on. Uh, who do you think will be winning this one? Massive game. Cool, boys. Huge, huge game. You talk about the race for top two. If Cairns lose this, man, New Zealand will be licking their chops yep. at the opportunity to maybe get in there. Um, and if South and, and with that type of result, then it puts the pressure on Melbourne United, Tasmania, these other teams in terms of that race for the top six. So that would be a massive result if the Phoenix can get up without Ryan Brockoff. Um, but if it flips the other way, man, all right, you could probably start to lock hands into that top two spot. And, geez, Phoenix are going to have a hard time to make the playoffs. So a, a game with huge ramifications tonight. And I think with so much on the line, 
at their their you know their home facility there at the State Basketball Center, the Phoenix, with a raucous home crowd. Even without Ryan Brockoff, I think they're going to get up. I like it. I like it. Liam Santa Maria, uh, we thank you very much for your time. Good luck up there in Canberra, and we look forward to seeing you back on the screens uh, across the NBL networks uh, very soon. Cheers, Josh. Good to chat. There's Liam Santa Maria. We'll be back on the other side with all your calls, all of your texts, and the main man, uh, the best voice in racing, the best character in racing, Wayne Hawks, to join us after 10. 10, very special guest in the house, just uh, readying himself, just getting his uh, research and papers out. His name is uh, Wayne Hawks. Wayne, good morning and thanks for coming in. Good morning to the fill-in fill-in. That's right. Is that you? Double fill-in on the sub for the sub. So you're the Waitley to Stoop man. Yes. When uh, when he needed... We've never never had the pleasure. To be fair to Julian to Stoop, Tough boots to fill, and I reckon he's done a hell of a job. But <laughs> yes, he I'm, has. I'm yeah. tipping you can do a better job. When uh, when in need of a third stringer, uh, I'm the man to ring up. <laughs> Just for the record, I'm the third best horse trainer in my family too. So you know what? It's okay. Now I know how where uh, Mark War feels. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to uh, Junior. Uh, what's happening in the? Uh, in the world of racing, of course, the autumn is just, you know, it's in the air, isn't it? The uh, good horses are back. You're, you're uh, spending a little less time on the uh, slower ones and a little more time on the good ones. So that must make it a little bit easier to get up at three in the morning. Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. The, bo- the bottom line is when you start to see the trials the other day and you're seeing the good horses yeah. and then tomorrow you've got the Jack and O's yes. and those sorts of horses that are back in town and racing, that's when you know that we're uh, we're up, up and away and... It's a good time over Christmas because it just is. But really, once Magic Millions comes and goes, then you know it's bang game on for your uh, for your autumn. And so you've got the start of the autumn. And to be fair, the Melbourne Autumn Carnival is really should be a summer carnival mm. to a point. <laughs> Sydney's the Autumn Carnival, whereas Melbourne we could nearly call it a uh, when when does summer finish? February. Uh, yep. Yep. February. February. Yep. So realistically, we're a summer carnival in Melbourne, mm. and Sydney has the uh, has the autumn carnival uh, in a couple of months' time. But yeah, it's up and about. You know, I mean, this will be for us is like a footy terms three weeks before uh, round one. It's uh, it is a it's a bit of a it snuck up on me even, and I try and keep up with uh, with racing. So the most casual of racing fans tomorrow, of course, y- you mentioned Jack and O returns. We see. Some of these uh, Blue Diamond runners, the instructor was a very impressive two-year-old for Waterhouse Bot Star Patrol's yep. back. So uh, if you haven't got much to do over Thursday, there's some good horses going around tomorrow. Yeah, it's a, it's a race day that has actually grown in uh, in momentum, and I'm not going to New Zealand this year. So normally, well, my, most of the guys have uh, have already left and or going today. So mm. I'm not going across to New Zealand for the sales. So why not? You're not buying or. Um, well, I just didn't have a, just didn't have the right orders for uh, for what's in New Zealand, so I'll just do the Sydney Classic Melbourne sale. It's never easy because you've just come out of the Gold Coast, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, Checkbooks are uh, a little lighter. Well, we didn't go too mad. We we bought four. We bought one expensive one for one point six five, and yeah, that's expensive. If you say it quickly, it's uh, it's not bad. <laughs> sounds a bit easier. sounds a bit easier. I tell you what, I just like the GST one hundred and sixty five oh. grand GST. It's amazing. Most it's, people uh, can't afford the GST. Well, if you think about if you think about your house and what your house is worth. And you're buying a horse that's 1.65 million. It's uh, do you treat that horse any different no. from? No, you don't. None whatsoever. Doesn't no. doesn't live anywhere differently. Doesn't not hasn't got its own uh, 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 people that look after. Like it's just one of the one of the bunch. It's one. It's one of the boys, so to speak. Because the thing about it is is that 
if you do if you're not doing the right thing by him, why should you treat Chautauqua any better or yeah. Ole Kirk or Winks or they're all the same. And mm. from my point of view, a trainer's point of view, I can get a better earn out of that out of the better horse. But when you've got your staff, the vet, the farrier, the physio, the chiro, the podiatrist, every other person that comes into the stable, they get paid on the job. They don't get paid on the quality of the horse. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. in real terms, Chautauqua is the most famous recent one of mine. He gets treated no different than what the uh, than what the worst horse in the stable does. And to be fair, Chautauqua is technically probably easier because mm. they're a bit smarter and they know more and they know what's going on, whereas the... The young dumb one, it's a lot more work goes into he or she. And you don't want to fill him up with confidence either. Well, He's that's probably exactly going to have right. enough. That's exactly right. Um, now, the Cox Plate chatter still lingers on. The movement of the Cox Plate or the, the uh, potential movement of the Cox Plate. I think your view was give it a go. And if it doesn't work, what my is that view, where you land? What, what my view is, I'd probably rather say leave it where it is. If we are going to move it, move the lot. Move the lot three. The whole, week. the whole lot. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, the so whole Jared, lot. Jared Whiteley idea, which is That's, probably your idea. No, 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 no. <laughs> he sat in that very chair and uh, he's been uh, pushing this for the last he has, two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he also said that the Boxing Day test should start at lunchtime and finish a bit later. That's probably got a little bit of sense to it as well. Yeah. Jared does go talk away, some sense. Whiteley, Whiteley, go away. Oh, I miss that one. <laughs> we do, we do miss the great man. We do miss him, but it won't be long before he'll be back. But. That was Jared's idea to push everything back three or four weeks. Last November was a busy month in sport. Mm. This November coming up is going to be a very, very quiet one. I think there's only a one main international cricket match in yeah. India, and there's yeah. going to be really three or four weeks of not much for you guys to talk about. So it, it could be a good year to do it. Are we going to push everything back? Probably not. And the reason why I say push everything back is – we like to try all this stuff. We don't normally. I think it's great RVL and Mooney Valley are putting it out there mm. like Caulfield did. I don't necessarily agree with it, but we have been an industry steeped in tradition. You can't do this. You can't do that. Bart Cummings said this, rah, rah, rah. Mm. Bart Cummings said you had to run on Derby Day if you were going to win a Melbourne Cup. And then I think Doremus went Caulfield Cup straight into a Melbourne Cup and he won. And then that changed history. So history is there to be broken. We, it's good that we are changing things and we are open to change because one big issue at the old VRC, which is now RVL, is that they never like change much. So I think that's a great tick. If we're going to move something, we have to have a get-out-of-jail clause that if it doesn't go to plan, it won't stuff up. Mm. We'll still have a Cox Plate winner if they push it back, but it mightn't get the turnover that it needed. It might get in the publicity that it needed. It mightn't, mightn't get the bums on seats to the races that it needs. So... We need to have a get-out-of-jail clause that we can push stuff straight back. I would say leave it because I don't think the Cox Plate is the race that we need to mess with. If you want to push a few races back like uh, the Caulfield people have been you know, yeah, banging on for yeah. a couple of years, I say fine to give that a go because the old Sandown Cup meeting really it yeah. goes pear-shaped. Yeah. I was a big, big advocate for having the Bush racing on a Saturday you know, the Ballarats, the Packenham yep. Cups, the you know, those sort of races, it's not for me anymore. Mm. Bendigo raced in the autumn and I was there, Golden Slipper Day in Sydney one day and I looked up at the screen and I didn't have a runner and there was Bendigo. I just dismissed it. Yeah. yeah. So that is a that's probably a non educational thing from yeah. towards yep. me, but how many other people would look at it and just go, oh, it's only Bendigo? Yep. Whereas if you see Flemington, Caulfield, Mooney Valley, Sandown, yep. you think differently. Yeah. 
it's all about the betting turnover. So we've had enough time to look at those standalone bush meetings and say, do they work? Well, I don't, I don't know whether they do. They want their time in the sun, which is great, but we still need to look at the betting turnover. So it's certainly, it's certainly dividing lots of people with where they are because you, especially with horse trainers, because the greatest line I heard about horse trainers was get them in the same room and try and agree on something would be like herding cats. <laughs> and that, that is factual because we're all out there pushing for our own. Uh, yeah, pushing well, there's our, no interest like self-interest. Pushing, self our, own, pushing our own barra. Um, I would have liked to have seen hmm. RVL and, Mil- and Mooney Valley Club people at the Magic Millions the other day. And I'll tell you why. We are all there, the participants. Yes, we are all yeah. there. So it would have been good for them to go around and grab someone for five minutes because the yielding sale is an amazing thing. You work your butt off for a week in hot conditions looking at all the horses and then the sale starts and goes for a week and then you might be hanging around 80 lots in between and they do 25 an hour. You could be two and a half hours, not enough time to go back and have a swim at the hotel, but you've got to hang around. So you do get – you would get to see your participants and your clients. So I reckon that was a missed opportunity there Mm. that they didn't. Now – I won't say who, but there was a journalist on another radio station that said, trainers have too much to say and it shouldn't be about them. Well, my response to that would be, but aren't we the people that are trying to get the horses to the Cox Plate? Mm. Aren't we getting our owners up and going as far as heading towards a Cox Plate? And to finish this little bit here, I didn't see any industry people up at the Magic Millions trying to help me and every other syndicator slash racehorse trainer sell and syndicate horses. We are, we are the ones that actually have to go out there and get the horses at a yearling sale yep. and uh, get it done. Pick no, them out. No, yep. no one's helping us from uh, from an industry point of view. Mm, good point. Uh, I want we saw the we saw the rapid racing last week. Does it have a Does it have a chance to survive? Could you? I think no. Jules Valance was putting this on the table, throwing a throwing a proper race on that day. Could you throw a lightning sprint or something on that day and? Give it a chance, or is it just it just is what it is? I do a segment with Gareth Hall and on a Monday morning, and we have an oh no segment, and mm. the oh no segment is uh, whatever the oh no was over the last week or on the weekend. And my oh no last week end was why are we at Flemington on a Friday on a twilight Friday afternoon, and then we back up on Saturday at Mooney Valley? It should be the other way around. The, the rapid racing horses should be at Mooney Valley and the number one racetrack in the country is Flemington. No, I don't think anyone would be able to dispute me on that. No, I wouldn't think. That, that is just about factual. So you want the best horses competing on the best track. So someone now says, oh, but what about me? I'm a small guy and I want to go to Flemington and have a crack. Well, you can because there's because the plenty of bush guys come to town and knock off the big trainers. So it's not about that. It's about the quality of horse. Port Melbourne playing at the MCG, and they're playing whoever they're playing. Williamstown. Williamstown, yep. perfect. Essendon St Kilda at Moorabbin. Not really how it should work, is it? Let's be fair about that. Yeah. That is the analogy to an absolute T. Flemington is for the Flemington, the, not Flemington, for the best horses. So rapid racing, does it work? Not really. It, it, was a, it was a trial, and it was a bit of a gimmick. And a couple of years ago, they used to have uh, the coaches and Dipper and yes, Sheeds. Well, I, and I was the coach you last year, and we got belted, what? and they sacked the coaches. So, <laughs> Well, the coach always gets the sack, doesn't it? It's, well, like, the, it's like the horse train. I, mean, you know, I didn't ride You can't train, but don't worry about my slow horse. It's how it works. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't – for me, 
And it's not that I didn't have a runner on Friday, but I genuinely think the best horses from anywhere should race at, race at, uh, at Flemington. So they need to swap the Flemington and Mooney Valley weekend around. Yeah, I probably agree. Uh, we're going to get to a break. If you've got a uh, comment for, for Wayne, jump on the 40 Winks temper text 0433981116. Temper uh, mattress like no other. Consumer's Choice winner. Temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Wayne's going to hang around for a uh, little bit. Maybe, yeah. I need, maybe I need a temper, temper mattress for myself to shape around my body. Well, perhaps you do. Just put the word out. And uh, I reckon this time next week, there'll be one. I'm built for comfort, not there'll speed. Be, there'll be one waiting for you. Uh, quick break. Wayne Hawks on the other side. The Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock. Now, Wayne Hawks is uh, still here with us. And uh, Wayne, uh, it's Wayne on Wednesday. I didn't, sorry, I didn't know this had a, a segment had a name. Didn't know it did either. Well, it says here it's Wayno Wednesdays. What's what it is? What it is? I don't mind the sound of that. We'll get a little jingle or a sting or something made up, and whenever you come in, what's we can... that line? That, that, put put the song. Am I ever going to see your face again? <laughs> <laughs> um, now we've mentioned you know, the excitement around the Autumn Carnival. Have you got some? Who are the, some of the? Who are some of the headline acts that you think will emerge across across the autumn? Who have you got for us? Probably nothing of any massive note with mm. my stable. What about if I look at the overall picture? Overall, I've got I've got a lot of young draft picks coming through, mm. and I need to pull a couple out and find a couple. Is there something there potentially? Yes, there couple is. A rookie listed, yeah, hundred uh, percent diamonds. Yeah, there is. Yep. So, but they need to step up. I think if you look at it as an overall, where are we in the autumn? I reckon we're going into the autumn in Melbourne and Sydney, better place than we have been for a fair while. The you know you've got a horse like Af Cabin yes. who didn't even make it to the Caulfield Guineas. Well, no disrespect to the stable mate, that's Caulfield Guineas winner. I reckon Af Cabin would have picked them up and swallowed them and just won by five. Yeah. He he looks a star to me because it, you always look good in your own age, your own sex. But when you're getting now, you can now as a mature three year old, you can start to run against the older horses. So I would think that probably running the guineas. Now they're mm. going to decide between the Australian guineas or the Ramwick guineas. They're on the same day. So it'll be interesting to see where they uh, where, the, where they go with him. But why he's such a great horse is he's got a magnificent turn of foot. And in as far as he's cruising at a speed and all of a sudden he just puts the afterburners on and lets rip. Now, you don't have to have that when you're a footballer because if I look at James Hurd, he was always half a, half a position behind. Mm. And he was only half a kick behind, but he could read the ball so well. Certainly wasn't a fast footballer. No. But fast of mind. Yes, 100%. Whereas we need speed in our industry when you're running in the big, big races against the older horses. Yeah. Because if they don't have that, well, then they're a bit sluggish. Mm. And they only get to a level. Whereas you've got the real burst of speed, that sorts the uh, the good from the great. And I think our cabin has the potential to go on to uh, to do what he's done. What about, uh, have you got any other of those? Those uh, That's the sweet spot, I think, three to four, isn't it? Uh, horses that go from three to four and step up and well, this mix t- it with the best. This, this, time, this time of the year, if you look at the Coolmore that's uh, in secret one yes. on Derby Day, she looks a great, great filly. We don't have a three-year-old sprinting grand final at all, anywhere, in Melbourne or Sydney. I think the Arrowfield on... Um, one of the championships days should be a group one. It should be the uh, the, the the pinnacle right at the end of mm. the uh, – so it becomes like a like a cool more stakes, so to speak. Mm. So what happens is you get your good three-year-olds. They are nearly forced to take on the older horses. So that 
puts it into another level to go on from F cabin to say what I was mm. trying to combine those two together. So all of a sudden, your three-year-olds, are, they're stepping out of the middle pool and they're going to the big pool. Yeah. And well, you they're know, persuaded you know to, aren't most, they? Most fail. Yes, I agree and with most that. most three-year-olds that turn four, most fail. I agree with that. Well, they're persuaded to, aren't they? We'll give you a lightweight and we'll do You can carry 50 100%. and 50. New market handicaps and all those sorts of Come and of have ones. a go. Doncaster's a one by three-year-old. So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, not argy-bargy, but from the point of view of we don't really run in the three-year-old races with the best horses we want to uh I'm just thinking of brutal running yep. second in a um, in a George Ryder to Winks. It was the greatest second of all time because he got beat three and three quarter lengths, and everyone went, "Wow, look at yep. brutal!" He then came at his next start and won the Doncaster as a three year old, and he's the was the least raced horse to ever win a Doncaster. I think he did it on his sixth or seventh race start. So it does create a bit of aura. We've got some really good horses, though. I mean, there's uh, Giga Kick. Yes, the Everest winner. If you didn't see his run in the Darley, go and look at his his race. I mean, C. Williams, that was an oh no. He um, he got lost. I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, they, yeah, they that's ride three. What you're here for. They ride three winners. They want the accolades. Got to. Yeah. I, w- I would think his trainer and connections would have been pulling their hair out because wow, he he has come along as the next uh, the next gun sprinter, and we certainly uh, we certainly need that. But White Marlin, who won Melbourne Cup Day, and yeah, staying horse with a massive turn of foot, as I was saying before. Mate, these are just a couple of them just coming. Was off he my more head. In, which? We 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 do it because we do. Uh, we compare horses. Was White Marlin more impressive than Solcom? Good call, isn't it? Like I mean, mm. you know what? It's potato potato. It's great to have tomato, two of them. To, well, it's good pub talk. And the bottom line is that I hope they don't clash. I mm. hope they don't go anywhere near each other. And we see them both in the spring down here heading for a Melbourne Cup. As an industry, we can do whatever we want. But when it's all said and done, what? gets bums on seats, is good horses, and we want to see great horses race because with the way that Sydney have gone and they're trying to take things away from Melbourne, having a heap of these horses coming through, and we, I reckon we're better stacked this year going into the autumn than what I've, I can remember because our two-year-old crop, which is now three- and four-year-olds, have been just a little bit yeah, wanting, yeah, I think. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking while, while I'm talking there, the last proper three-year-olds were all too Arden Piero. They were great horses. That's a while ago. And it was a while ago, but we haven't consistently had a group of these horses coming through that we could have a mini Cox Plate for a three-year-old or a mini TJ Smith for the three-year-olds. And you could have one of three or four horses' favourite right now. So we are placed in a very, very good position because we do need those great racehorses to uh, to come through. And because of breeding and things like that with the Colts, you don't get to see them because they're worth too much money mm. and they, uh, Off they, go. they get retired and stud too quickly. Uh, Wayne Hawke's our guest. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you where we might start to emerge and find a few uh, and uncover a few stars. We've Merchant Navy came from uh, Pakenham. He won a Pakenham Maiden and he went did. on to do what he did. Now we're seeing the the, the Sports Bet Future Stars series, the seventy five thousand dollar maidens uh, that are going to uh, have. There's twelve heats, and we're going to have a three hundred thousand dollar final. So uh, you've been someone who's been very public and and proactive in terms of more money for maiden horses. You know, we put a lot of money at the top. Can we put more money at the bottom? So I imagine you know, you've liked what you've seen from 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 uh, this series that's out at Packenham, where these maiden horses are getting the chance to run around for seventy five grand, hundred percent. Because the bottom line is, I I, th- I, th- I think all maidens across the board in Victoria should be at a higher rate than what they are. Then the next level, maybe you drop them back a little bit because I reckon you win your maiden, you get a real good kick along with mm. yourself, 
the horse from his attitude and his perspective, and do they know? They know when they win. Simple as that. You get a few dollars back in the bank to pay the bills. You might say to trainer X, well, that 10 grand that just came back in, I might just give that back to you and we just go and reinvest and just don't tell the wife and she can wait for a kitchen for next 12 months. But uh, that's the chance of it happening. If, you only, if you're winning a small, small maiden with a small percentage, you want people to reinvest. Mm. So if you go to the top end, the absolute top end, the race is worth millions and millions of dollars. In all yeah. honesty, you need the right people to be winning those races because we don't want people to win with that win all that money and then take the money out of the industry and go and pay off the car, the school fees, yeah. the house. So Jonathan Munns owning Gear Kick is great because he owns 70, 80, 100 broodmares. Yeah. He is reinvesting the all the money going in. Back through the industry. So we do, yeah. we do need that at the absolute top end. So having maidens worth more money, I think, I think it's a great thing what they've uh, gone ahead and done and I think there should be more of it and – to be honest, the the lesser class horse that's had ten or twelve starts, he's had his chance. Maybe he's the one that should have a little bit less, and the maideners be uh, be worth more. That's only my opinion. And the best part about a maiden is, good maideners come from anywhere, mm. all over the state. Mm. Uh, I want to. Can we take the news and can you give us a few more minutes on the other side? Because uh, you've got a few runners going up, but I want to ask you about the All Star Mile. Uh, and there's a few texts there for you as well. So let's get to the news. Wayne Hawks is going to be uh, – you can put the invoice in for a little bit of overtime here. So uh, news and then a few more rapid fires with Wayne Hawks. Uh, 10.31, Wayne Hawks is uh, here for another couple of minutes. A couple of uh, quick ones off the 40 Wings temper text. Uh, hi, guys. Love the show. Hi, Wayne. Have you got a potential star in uh, the world we could not know about just yet? Have you got a little – could you unearth one? You said you've got a few rookies that you need to – Turn into the next big thing. Have you just got one that Mathcura is one that uh, just comes to mind? Hang on, how do we... how... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I tried just train her. Mathcura. Let me look it up. I think it's M A T H K O U R A. Her brother was a one point six five million dollar horse. She's by I'm Invincible out of uh, our Golden Slipper Winner Moss Fund. She's obviously uh, bred in the purple. But to be fair, I'm bred in the purple with my pedigree, but it doesn't mean to say that I can run fast. As I told you off the top, I'm the third wor- I'm the third best horse trainer in my family. How did you say you how did you guess you spell it? I'll find it. Just keep right, patting it. Work. Keep patting you it. You find, find it. it. Now this is a little more uh hard hitting. Uh so you are also suggesting a move of the Melbourne Cup. In my humble humble opinion, this is from Damien. Uh, that will never happen. The race that stops a nation is synonymous with the first Tuesday of November. He's right. He's 100% right. Are they ever going to do it? No, they won't. No. But all I'm saying is if you're going to mess around with races like the Cox Plate, that's a pretty what? big uh, – It's a grand final that you're messing with. Yeah, there. but we're, I'm glad you mentioned that because in the AFL, it's like the talk of a night grand final. No, we can't have a night grand final. Why, can't, why are we not more open – to saying we're going to have a go at it for one or two or three years, and you know what? If it doesn't one's, work, one's enough. One's enough. If it doesn't work, guess what? We'll just move it back. Well, we're not being smart. That's what I said to you from the get go with what we said about moving <laughs> exactly the Cox right. Plate. But have a so, get at a jail clause that you could just move it straight. It's back. It's the same with the AFL Grand Final. Can we go and do a night Grand Final? Oh, what if it's no good? What well, if, guess what? what? Could move we do a back. twilight? Or, or no, I'll ask you. Could we do a twilight from the point of view? How much does the sun mm-hmm. impact? When you're a footy player, not 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 really at the not MCG, enough. No, yeah, okay, not fair really. cool. Um, I just, I just, I'm just amazed. Do you know, do you know the best grand final by a hundred yards? Is, yeah, the NRL Sunday night. Oh, what do you well, think I was going to say? 
oh, 2017, that's usually what gets <laughs> gets thrown at me when I'm in this no. year. People reference the uh, the grand final against the What happened the that year? I don't remember. No, neither do I. I've so, been you know what? The Sunday the night NRL grand final. If you've never uh, watched it, do you. yourself a favour and watch it. The theatre of it's good. The the night the night time, the lights, mm. it is nah, very, good. I'd agree with you. Uh, a few quick ones as well. You've got a few going around today and tomorrow. Now, you sort of temper the expectations of the top. Uh, Packingham tonight. Fists of Fury, Dee Oliver in the saddle. He's he's quite a nice horse. Only a small field. So the biggest thing with these small fields is tactics become a massive play. Yeah. I'd rather have a field of 13 and be solidly run race and everyone just goes out and rides their race. When you have tiny fields, quite often what happens is you get two or three jockeys that actually start playing jockeys yeah. and they forget about their yeah. ride. Yeah. So has he got a good chance? Yes, I think he does. I, I like this horse. So yeah. Uh, Bought him in Melbourne. He was only one hundred and fifty grand. I say only. He was one hundred and fifty thousand dollar purchase, and um, I think he will be very hard to beat tonight. Uh, you never, you never quite know when you're unraced, and you're comparing to nearly all other play. unraced horses. Uh, that's fists what, of fury. One word. Uh, about nine bucks. I think. There you go. There you well, go. I, well, I'll tell you what. I don't think he's a nine nine dollar chance. Uh, and uh, Warwick Farm, which is tomorrow, of course, straight A, petulant in race number six. Petulant by name, hopefully not by nature. It'll 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 run okay. I'd probably yeah. like uh, Fists of Fury a little bit more than uh, than Petulant. Okay, a couple of bucks on uh, Fists of Fury. We'll just watch Petulant go around and hope for the best. You know, if Petulant wins, yes, I know. People that's actually come out and say rah rah rah, and that's that's the you'd find tipping, it's worse. It's worse to to steer people away and have it win than it is to tip one and have it get beat. If I tip <laughs> Winks or Black Caviar, guarantee they'd get beat. Absolute. <laughs> what, what do you call that? The cooler. I, yes, I would dead cooler. set be the. I think the, that's uh, Hutchie's nickname. That's what they call it? Hutchie. Yeah, right. I, I would. You I would dead it. set be the uh, the cooler. Someone asked uh, the big O was he the best? Well, he probably was from an, from an ability point of view. I don't know whether he was my most favourite horse ever. I would think um, sports flavour. Ole Kirk. Ole Kirk was a recent one because he was just a cheeky little bugger and he was the toughest two year old I've ever worked Got with. Got on. He, his um, debut win was 40, 30 or 40 to 1. Helen Dirt Stakes was his... Uh, how did he, he get under the guard of the punters? I don't know. At no price? No, we thought he could win. And he, well, he won a... Uh, he should have won a VRC size. He was unlucky in the AJC size. He came back and won a Golden Rose and a Caulfield Guineas. So he was a pretty, uh, pretty fair horse. He, what's his second season? He has foals on the ground now, which look amazing. Yeah. I, I was up at Vinery no Stud. surprise. Before, over Christmas, uh, before Christmas, actually, and saw them, and they looked great. But he was – why I loved him was because he was just so tough. And for the people that don't know Ole Kirk, he was sold for $35 million, And he oh. is cousin of All Too Hard and Black Caviar. So they're your, they're your auntie and your uncle. Mm, not bad. It'd be like being, you know yeah. – Not bad. $35 million. Last one, uh, move the Sandown Guineas and Classic to Underwood Stakes Day and Sandown Stakes to the Autumn. That's from Sean in Nara. If we had one club like Sydney does, I was talking about before about AFCAB and running the Ramwick Guineas. It used to be the Canterbury Guineas over 1900. Mm. Then they moved it to be a mile at Ramwick. It was a much better race being a mile at Ramwick than 1900 around the tight Canterbury track. If you have one club, that will solve a lot of those issues because it's the one club. You're not going to get – clubs should realistically look at each other and work together and go – I'll give you that one. You give me that one. It'll work because remember one thing. It's all right to move a Cox plate back four weeks and whatever, but we have to program our horses. Now, the great man, Jared Waitley, sits there and he looks at me and he, I tell you what he says. 
you're smart enough to work it out and you're clever enough to do it. That's true to a point. Mm. But we can only give a horse so many runs. So we've got to be a little bit careful because when you start pushing races back and moving things around, it does make a big uh, big impact on how we uh, how we train them. And the other thing is, if you don't go deep into the autumn, you finish your preparation early, you've got a hell of a long wait yeah. till springtime. Yeah. So can we get around that? You can to a point, but we have we don't we're not like England where we close down literally for the the flat season just closes down for six months and the jumps comes in. So it's not quite the same, you know what I mean? It's not not that easy. We've covered plenty of ground, uh, and uh, it's been fun. Hopefully, uh, people have enjoyed the, uh, the fill in, fill in. You know what? Fill in, you've fill done, in. You've done a well, good job for uh, Bob the Builder. A couple of third stringers just going head to head. Wayne Hawks has Thanks, been mate. our guest. Uh, we'll take a break, and uh, plenty more coming up on the other side on mornings. Well, there's a huge uh, tournament uh, about to get underway. The, the TPS in Rosebud and Hayden Hopewell's a young man who's going to be. Uh, heavily involved, and we're hoping he can perform incredibly well. He's been good enough to jump on the line and uh, have a chat to us for a few minutes. Hayden, good morning. Morning. Uh, how you going, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, going well. Uh, going well. Now, uh, talk to us about your uh, confidence levels going into the TPS uh, at Rosebud. How are you feeling? Uh, feeling great. Um, after the Q school I've been in uh, in Thailand the last few weeks, kind of, Game is in a, in a good spot, um, fine tuned, and uh, yeah, ready to tackle the uh, the Rosebud Core. Now, how did you how did you find things over in Thailand? Was it was it an, it was an enjoyable experience? You uh you uh you enjoyed your time over there? Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, different culture over there. Had a few few too many pad ties uh, in the <laughs> end, but no, it was um, yeah over there is great. Um, the weather's uh, always pretty good. Um, and yeah, just different courses, different grasses over there. It's uh, nice to actually adapt to new courses. How much does it help your game when you are playing on, you know, surfaces and courses and environments that are incredibly different? Yeah, um, look, you got to uh, obviously. I mean, I've played amongst grainy greens, which was probably the main challenge over there. Um, but yeah, you just kind of mentally adapt and, and prepare for that and, yeah, just go in there with uh, the same confidence as you do as, as if it's you playing at your home course. Now, they tell me uh, there's been a fairly sizable problem on the way home. You, you, your clubs haven't arrived. Uh, yeah, you've arrived back in the country, but your clubs haven't arrived. So what is going on there? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm back to the back home soil safely, but yeah, the clubs are, are still in transit somewhere. Look, I um I went to the baggage services <laughs> yesterday morning for a couple of hours, and they they couldn't tell me where the clubs are. So, um yeah, it's, this is the second time it's happened to me. But um I quickly got on the phone to the Talos guys, and they managed to whip me up a set um, for today. So I'll go over there and have a look at the course in the pro am. But yeah, we uh, we still don't know where they are, and it could take they could arrive tomorrow. It could take a couple of weeks. So that's just yeah, something, something that's a little hurdle in my way. I guess the the average uh, a golfer would would say, "Come on, you know, it's a set of clubs is a set of clubs." But just tell us how much difference there'll be from you from a field perspective, and you know, using a set of clubs that that aren't yours <laughs> effectively. Yeah, so um, really, the the whole set um, is you know, like interchangeable, but mm. really, there's a few little field things that aren't always the same as, as your clubs that you always practice with, like your putter, your chippers. So 
um, yeah, it's just those, those small things I'll, I'll try and get a feel for today. And I guess, yeah, I guess the key word is just adapt. Well, I think the old timers will say a tradesman never blames their tools, but your tools haven't arrived, so you might actually uh, have reason to do so. You recently uh, played uh, in the in the TPS Murray River, where Hannah Green was the first ever uh, woman to win a mixed four round event in the world. So even though you were, you, you know you finished second, and you would have been disappointed in that sense, proud of how you played, but yeah. disappointed not to win. It must have been yeah. a pretty incredible thing to be a part of, seeing Hannah win a tournament and be the first uh, woman to do so. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the atmosphere of these events um, are slightly different, and I think it's great uh, what they're doing. Um, but yeah, seeing Hannah win at Murray River, I was a couple groups ahead, but um, yeah, she's she's a friend of mine, and um, Jared Felton, uh, he's a friend of mine who his partners with Hannah. It was yeah, just pretty cool. Um, yeah, to be a part of that. Now uh, the TPS uh, Rosebud, there's some big names playing. Jeff Ogilvy and uh, Carrie Webb will both be out there on the course, so that's a that'll be a bit of a thrill to to mix it up with those types, and should be uh, you know great reason for for people to come down and have a look as well. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, it's going to be a great week. Um, like you said, there's great players uh, playing this week, and the atmosphere should be great. So hopefully, we get to see uh, yeah a few people heading down the rosebud. Have you tackled the rosebud course before? No, nah, first time. Um, this is this is a new one for me. So. Um, I've heard great things about it. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, hopefully the storm that we endured last night is is, uh, is well and truly gone. But, uh, again, how much does uh, – how difficult is it for, for you, you know, someone who hasn't played the course for you know against other players who may have seen the course, you know, many, many times? That I'm sure that makes, you know, things a little bit tougher from your perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, um, there's there's a lot of courses – I come to and it's it's always the first time. Sometimes that's a good thing. Um, it's kind of a fresh mindset, fresh fresh eyes on on holes. So um, yeah, I guess you just get your own game plan in the in the practice days and try and execute that as best you can. So I think I think sometimes it can uh, can go the other way. Now you're a you're a West Australian uh, junior, born and bred over there. Yep. You've um, played all over the place. We just you know spoke before about your time in. Thailand, how are you finding you know all the travel? You're over here in in Melbourne. You've uh, you're a winner of the Tassie Open, so you've been all over the place. How do you find the travel and the schedule in in terms of what that looks like and uh, what it p- potentially might look like if you you know you're travelling uh, long term? Yeah, travel's a big part of uh, of being a professional golfer, and it's how you manage it. Um, I guess physically and mentally, I'm always trying to stay as loose as I can. Because on those on those long flights, it can um, it can take a toll on your body. But yeah, I just try and keep myself uh, busy mentally, um, whether it's reading or playing some games on my phone or computer. But um, yeah, I try and sleep as much on the plane. Um, but yeah, just travel around a lot. You kind of you learn to manage yourself quite nicely. Did 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 you find golf or did 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 golf find you? Is it a is it a family thing or have you is it just something that you you picked up when you were a youngster and you, you, you realised you were pretty good at it and you've stuck at it. Yeah, golf's uh, it's, it's been the family uh, for a few generations. Uh, my granddad, uh, Laurie, who um, was a big part of my game, he played, um, took up golf as a middle-aged man um, and then he passed it down to my dad, which passed it down to me at a young age. So I 
he showed me how to play the game at a young age and, and still um, has a big part in my golf. But, yeah, he showed me and I guess you can lead lead a horse to water and uh, wait for the horse to drink. So and that's what I've done. <laughs> well, uh, Hayden, we're right behind you here at SEN. So good luck uh, for the upcoming tournament, the TPS at Rosebud. And hopefully all goes well. And hopefully those clubs are uh, nice and suitable and uh, you can uh, get around the uh, the course nice and uh, evenly. Yeah, thank you very much. We'll, uh, I'll give it a, a, a red hot crack. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Beautiful. Go well, Hayden. Hope well, our guest. And it's free entry uh, for the tournament. And as I mentioned, Jeff Ogilvy and Kari Webb will be playing as well. So uh, all the more reason to get involved. 8.30 a.m. onwards. And you can also watch uh, the tournament on Fox Sports on Saturday and Sunday. It all kicks off tomorrow at the beautiful Rosebud Country Club. So, if you're looking for something to do, get down there and have a look at some of uh, the uh, brightest and best golfers that we have to offer. Uh, a quick break, and we'll just we're approaching the eleven o'clock news. Plenty more to come in the second, in the third hour, I should say. Um, we've got who have we got in the third hour? We're going to speak to Cam Young uh, after eleven twenty. A man who's going to be attempting and hopefully completing a marathon pushing his young son who has cerebral palsy. So looking uh, forward to that. Uh, a break. Plenty more on the other side. Welcome back to Mornings. Josh Jenkins filling in for Jared Whateley and Julian DeStoop filling in for both uh, four minutes past 11. It's uh, almost 24.6 degrees outside in Melbourne at the moment. Our next guest uh, was a part of the Melbourne Renegades' excellent win last night over the Adelaide Strikers. His name is Matt Critchley and he's been good enough to jump on the phone and, uh, and chat to us for a few minutes about last night's performance. Matt, good morning. Morning. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it was a good. Good night last night. Good to make the finals, but uh, good to speak to you this morning. It uh, it certainly, you know, it was a great result in terms of the actual outcome. But you guys are in that sort of win or win or go home mode at the moment. You need to keep winning to give yourself a chance. So, you know, to be able to 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 perform, you know, bowl well and knock over the strikers for for a yeah pretty you know modest or moderate total, and then get those runs comfortably enough. You must have been happy with how the team played, uh, you know, in terms of uh, how you batted and bowled? Yeah, definitely. We've had uh, three goes at it the last few games, so it would have been nice to get it done a bit earlier. But, yeah, we started off uh, really well, obviously, getting wicket in the first over. Um, and then, yeah, it was a pretty professional performance, not too many glitches to get through, which I think is a good sign for the finals going forward. Because, as you say, there's uh, a lot of finals going on out here, so... Got to keep winning, and it's good to get that momentum now. And you must have been, you know, you certainly, you know, when you when you knock over a team like Adelaide for one forty two. I mean, it's not it's not a foregone conclusion. You still got to go and get the runs, but you know, when you look at Adelaide's batting lineup with Head and Short and Carey, you know, certainly they could have put a big total on the board. So you must have felt pretty good about yourselves when you'd been able to knock them over for for that one forty two, and then you know, even though you still had to go and get the runs. Yeah, definitely. I think like the pitch was obviously doing a little bit early, but yeah, definitely to bowl well, it gives you that confidence to know that as long as you bat well and one partnership, one or two partnerships uh, will help win you the game. And obviously, Finchie um, played beautifully and uh, showed how showed the world why he's a world class player. Well, you might have, you may have been comfortable at the uh, at, at intermission when you were uh, you guys were going to pad up, but when you lose Marty Guptill for for eight. Sean Marsh goes for a duck and, and Sam Harper goes for one. Uh, perhaps 
you're a little more nervous when you're walking out to the crease, but uh, you and Finch, Finchy were able to put on plenty, and, and in the end, uh, Finchy was able to carry his bat, and you were able to you know, make 35. So you, you guys, between you, basically were able to get the job done, so you must have been pleased with, with that performance, and, and it must have been a thrill to, to be able to get most of the runs alongside Aaron Finch. Yeah, definitely. Um, all lads have been brilliant, but especially Finch, he's such a nice fella. Um, reminds us that he's won a couple of World Cups every now and then, <laughs> but nah, he's a, a humble guy. Obviously, there was a few nerves kicking about, I bet, but it's kind of one of them things that when you're in the moment, you don't really think about it. You just try and get the job done, and then I couldn't quite see it through. <laughs> run out when I probably shouldn't have, so it was nice um, that Wellesley come in at the end as well, and yeah, nice relief to get the job done and get into playing some finals. How have you found your time uh, in Melbourne? You've you know you've only been with the Renegades for for a couple of weeks as an injury replacement, but you know based on last night, you must be feeling good about yourself. But how have you how have you settled in 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 quick time? Because it hasn't been there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for you to, to to settle in and get to know everyone and start to feel good about yourself. You've had to perform straight away. Yeah, the boys have been pretty welcoming. To be fair, it was um, chaotic. I think I got the phone call about a couple of weeks ago on Friday. Flew on Sunday. Played on. Monday or Tuesday night. So it was a quick turnaround the first game, meeting half the guys at the game with about two hours sleep behind me um, and stuff. So not ideal. But yeah, they've been brilliant. It's such a cool franchise. Um, All the senior players are such nice guys. Obviously, you've got the boys, uh, the Victorian boys from Melbourne anyway, that they make you feel welcome and they have made it feel like a family straight away. So it's been a brilliant experience to go out here for the first time in the Big Bash. Um, and, yeah, feel at home straight away, really. And hopefully we can keep going further in the finals and keep contributing now, settled in a bit more. Clearly, you know, you've, you've, you've focused on the Renegade season and trying to ensure that they can, you know, get through to a, to keep winning and get through to the finals and, and have, a, have a strong end to the season. But what is, what, how, how, much, how much earlier do you start to look at what's next for you? Do you have a, a manager who, sort, who starts to sort of field offers and those types of things? How does it all work from that perspective? Um, yeah, obviously I have an agent who tries to get you like opportunities um, around the world. Obviously I've been pretty keen to get out here, which is why I got out here at the drop of the hat. And hopefully yeah, more opportunities come my way. I've got a little bit of stuff coming up. I go to Sri Lanka after this with England Day. So there's a lot of cricket coming up. And obviously the county season in England's pretty busy. But yeah, I think almost, with all the franchises going on at the moment, there's a lot of opportunities around the world. So probably up to me to keep performing and then yeah, try and play as much cricket as possible. But as you say, first and foremost, try and go as far in this competition as we can um, with the Renegades. How do you, how do you um, balance your game? Because, you know, as you mentioned, you, 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 you'll finish the BBL season and then you'll be straight on a plane to Sri Lanka to play some, some 50 over cricket and, and get involved in that. You mentioned the county season you know the the red ball uh, form of the game as well so how do you balance that when you're trying to hone your craft and get better at your game as a as a batter and a bowler how do you you know go about it trying to ensure that you're in improving all parts of your game but also i guess preparing for the upcoming games whether that be you know 20 over cricket 50 over cricket or the longer form of the game yeah it's a tough one to answer to be honest like i think we're pretty used to it in england because we uh jump between formats quite regularly which i don't know if get that gets that much press out here, but it certainly does um, in England. So I think uh, being like mentally like switched on, I've played quite a lot of cricket now, considering I'm still fairly young. Um, so trying to draw on them experiences and then trying to not look too far ahead, but also like 
keep honing the skills and your basics all the way around. And then I think for me, it's about more about um, trying to get good at like gameplay rather than technical stuff. So I read the situations well. I think that stands you in good stead. And then also having a good um, coaching set up around you that um, allows you to like flourish and keeps your uh, head on your shoulders and make sure that you know exactly what's coming up next and what you're prepared for. Uh, so, like any opportunity can happen at the drop of a hat, really. So, you need to be prepared all the way around. But it is it is pretty tough, but also it's pretty exciting, and you get to come uh, to countries like this and play a game that you loved growing up. Do you think we'll see uh, an era of players coming through who are basically just going to bounce from from you know T20 league to T20 league? We've got the IPL, we've got the Big Bash. The, Caribbean Premier League, the Pakistan Super League, we've got a league in Bangladesh, we've got the T20 Blast, we've got all different types of leagues and options for, for players to go and participate in and make really good money. Let's face it, you can make you know a generational wealth if, you, if you're able to. Do you think we're going to start to see players, and we probably already have, who just you know basically travel around the world and participate in these leagues and, and not really look too much at the Red Bull uh, form of the game or even the 50-over format? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's a natural thing, whether people think like that consciously or their skills just lend themselves to that. There are certain players that are in such demand around the world that um, the opportunities come their way. Someone like a Tim David, the Australian, like I'm sure he has like would want to play red ball cricket, but when he's getting all the opportunities to play white ball cricket around the world and how good he is, like it's hard to say no to them opportunities. So I, I think definitely um, that will be the case for some people. But I know for myself, I wouldn't want to do that. I definitely want to play red ball cricket and speaking to a lot of people growing up, um, especially in England now, the way that our guys are playing test cricket, it looks like a pretty fun environment to be around. Um, so I know that everyone in England's pretty keen to get to that. But I think naturally people will see these opportunities, whether it's the money or just the opportunities to go around the world or just like I said before the demand of going around the world I think that is definitely a trend that's um, coming into cricket and I think one that need to not I wouldn't say be aware of but um, make sure we protect the game all the way through and I think in England the big thing at the moment is about inspiring the next generation to play cricket and that's what our job ultimately is. Uh, do, you, do you guys spend much time? Is there is there a you know, players' union as such, and who, who 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 consciously spend time thinking about what's best for cricket moving forward and ensuring that you know? I guess the game, as you said, subconsciously, some players might be just um, you know getting more involved in T Twenty cricket, and the longer formats of the game might be getting missed. Do you think that is there a, is there a is there a forum or a network of players and 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 past players who do think about what's best for the game? Um, I'm not sure if there's a direct like past players, but we have the Professional Cricketers Association in England that obviously run um, help with all of our players and get all of our opinions on the game. So I'm sure that um, they're doing stuff in the background. But I think like mainly players just like they want to play Test cricket. I remember growing up watching the 2005 Ashes, and that's what inspired me to play. And then well your skills lend yourself to something else that um, is different. But I think it is going on in the background, definitely. Well, it definitely is in England. I'm sure it is over here that we're trying to protect all formats of the game. I think like we don't play... If you play in the 100 back home, we don't play 50-over cricket. So I've not played 50-over cricket for about three, 
two or three years now, which is a bit bizarre going into an England day um, set up in the next couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, it's uh, cricket's very different and it's changing rapidly. There's all sorts of formats. We obviously play the hundred in England. There's a T10 that goes on around the world a couple of, in a couple of places, and then the twenty over format, fifty over format, four day format. So maybe it's something that needs looking at to not um, block the schedule up too much, but. As long as people are entertained and watching it, like I think that's ultimately um, the main thing. Now, you guys, the Renegades are through to the finals. They're guaranteed a, a, a position in the finals, either third or fourth. Now, uh, Brisbane, Sydney and Hobart are battling it out or will battle it out for the final two positions. So uh, will, you, will you spend much time focused on who you might play or will you just sort of go about your business? Are you a bit of a cricket head or will you just... Uh, just keep enjoying Melbourne and what he has to offer and worry about who you play when you know who you're playing. Uh, I do like watching my cricket, but I think while I'm here, I'm going to take the opportunity to head to the Aussie Open today um, and see what Melbourne's got to offer. I'll definitely keep an eye on it and then do um, my research according because uh, I don't think, since I've been here, I've not played quite a few teams. So if you've got to play the Hurricanes or the Heat, then I'll have to do bit of research on that but um yeah see what melbourne's got to offer if you've got any tips let me know but yeah heading down to melbourne park today uh beautiful i like it well melbourne's very good for uh it's coffee what i will say is it's very sunny outside but that is not a guarantee it'll be sunny all day so just be prepared and perhaps pack a little long sleeve because based on uh the weather last night you never know but matt uh, thanks so much for your time uh you're performing incredibly well for the melbourne renegades Welcome back to Mornings, all for the uh, Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. Well, our next guest uh, is not is probably someone you haven't heard of, but you're about to hear about an amazing feat. His name is Cam Young, and he joins us here on Mornings. Cam, good morning. How you going, Josh? Going well, mate. Now, tell us uh, what you're about to do, embark on. Uh, you're going to do it on... Uh, February 18, uh, what is it that you're going to uh, attempt to achieve? Now, at this stage, we have to say attempt, but uh, I'm sure uh, you're going to be able to knock it over. But what is this task that you're going to achieve? Um, yeah, key word is definitely attempt. Um, so I've set myself the goal of completing a marathon, which will be my first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to push my son, Iggy, who's a twin, and he's got cerebral palsy, so I'm going to take him on the journey with me and the aim is to raise some much needed funds for a um, place close to our heart in Pigs Plus and we're going to try and raise $42,000. So um, $1,000 per kilometre is, is what we're setting out to achieve. So you've never run a marathon and you are going to attempt to run a marathon uh, in February when it may well be very, very warm. Uh, you're going to attempt to run a marathon pushing your son who will hopefully stay in the pram for... All 42Ks, is that right? Yeah, correct. And hopefully he'll sleep for some of it, um, <laughs> which will help that task. What happens if the young fellow wants to get out? Uh, we'll have a few distractions. <laughs> there might be an iPad or some food. He likes his food, so that should uh, help keep him entertained. But we've done, we did a half marathon two weeks ago and it was really good. So um, I think it'll be the key to keeping him up late at night so he will sleep because we'll probably be setting off early depending on the temperature on the day. Now, how did this idea come to life? Where did you get the inspiration from uh, to, to, to attempt uh, such an amazing feat? Um, so early days after the boys were born, um, they were 28-week prem babies, so we had a lot of time up in Melbourne at the Royal Women's in the um, intensive care and the special care nursery. So I got on Google and 
after his diagnosis, and I come across a story um, of Richard Hoyt, who him and his son, who also had cerebral palsy, he used to take him on marathons and Ironmans. And I just thought, I put it in the back of my mind, that it'd be pretty pretty cool and special to do one day. And um, obviously he's getting heavier as he gets older, so I thought <laughs> I might need to do this sooner rather than later. Indeed. Now, uh, you and I, um, we share some uh, things in common. So as you mentioned, you've got twins who were born at 28 weeks. So I've got twins who were born at 30 weeks. And uh, little Iggy has been diagnosed with cerebral palsy and one of our daughter's piper was also diagnosed with cerebral palsy so we've got um uh, very very similar uh, uh environments at home now i don't think i can well in fact i know i can i, I cannot run 42 kilometers i'm 110 let's go with 110 kilos but i think i can probably bring it home would you like some company for the last 15k well, we've had we've had a lot of uh, people and support reach out, and we didn't know where this would um, lead to, and we just didn't know whether the track we're running on is going to be too small to have <laughs> people coming and going, or obviously with the pram, um, and I'm going to have two guys running uh, with me, one in my brother and a close friend as pace setters. Um, but like I said, there's no real rules to this marathon. It's not we're set to do ourselves until. Um, we're going to have a lot of support on the day and what what will, what will happen on the day will happen and um, I'm sure there might be a couple of people that want to use high five or run a little bit but yeah, we just sort of can't promote it too much because we just don't want to trip over and hurt ourselves <laughs> or do something silly but our uh, situation is very similar I think you've got an older daughter as well same as us, so three under a very small age bracket um, I'm going to give her Give a lot of credit to my wife. Being at work is probably a little bit easier than being at home at times. So uh, they do an amazing job. They certainly do. Uh, little little Iggy, and for people who don't know much about cerebral palsy, just explain that uh, to, to those people who might not know much about the condition. Um, so cerebral palsy um, obviously can affect uh, the person who's got the disability in different um, ways. Um, it's mainly motor movements um, and Iggy's CP, um, he's graded sort of in the middle to higher, not higher end, but sort of in the middle of it. So he is affected with his legs and his arms, um, more so his legs, but um, he's learning to take steps with walkers and mobility aids, which has all sort of been guided through the Kids Plus um foundation and their facility they've got in Geelong so he's doing really well he's, he's learning day-to-day uh, -day tasks and challenges that he's going to face and um, so yeah that's how it affects him um, and as he gets older we'll find out more with what tasks and that will be affecting his everyday life but we'll uh, meet them every every chance we get with Kids Plus's help so. You mentioned Kids Plus and the Kids Plus Foundation and uh, it's a it's a place that I, we know really well. But explain what they've meant to you and your family, and and the, and the great work that they do with kids who have all sorts of different dif disabilities. But you know, certainly some of the things that they can put in place to to give the young kids the best chance to have a, a, a you know as normal a life as possible. Yeah, and that's sort of what really shines through with us. Um, you probably went through it as well. Once you get that diagnosis, we were, me and Olivia uh, were a little bit lost, didn't know where to look, who to talk to, get a lot of advice and um, opinions. And then once we got linked in with Kids Plus, it just really part of the way for how we're going to deal with um, Iggy's upbringing and what he's going to go through and just their support, their help. Um, 
you know, anything that we feel we want to do with Iggy, it's always going to be a possibility and how that looks, it's not really an issue. It's just if we want to maybe in the future take him to the beach or he wants to ride a bike, you know, I feel that they do everything in their power to maybe try and make that happen with the early intervention and the training and skills they're setting him in for. So it was just a really great place to be linked in with and a support base. And, yeah, we cherish cherish our relationship with everyone there, the staff, amazing. So we just hate to think that a place like that wouldn't be around in the future. And a lot of people don't know about it, that it even exists. So, um, yeah, they're amazing. As you've experienced firsthand yourself. Too. Yeah, they certainly are. They're, uh, they're an amazing group of people who do amazing things for, for young kids. And uh, you've got a website for that people can go on. And I was having a look last night that's, you know, the background to to why you're doing the run and and your story and Iggy's story and 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 how people can donate. So just give that uh, website a little push, Cam. Yeah, so we've got um, pushingforpurpose.com.au. Um, as you said, it's got our story. It's got a link to our Give Now page where um, you can make donations. I uh, received a very generous call today this morning from uh, a business, Scope Australia, and they're going to donate three kilometres. So. Uh, $3,000 are going to go into the funds um, in the next day or so, so that's going to knock us over $20,000. So it's uh, incredible the the, uh, the generosity of local businesses and friends and family that are, are jumping on board to really drive us towards our targets. So if um, there is any businesses out there that want to get involved or support us, um, yeah, reach out through that website, pushingforpurpose.com.au, um, and, yeah, follow along to our story. And hopefully it... Uh, in, impresses some people and we can get a, get a lot of support on the day on the finish line down at the uh, Nepal Courts in Drysdale at around 10.30 and cheer us home. I like it. Hey, Cam, just stay on the line because we've had uh, a caller uh, jump on the line. Nick is in Geelong and he's uh, got something he'd uh, like to offer. So, good morning, Nick. G'day, guys. How are you going? Going well, thanks. Hey, Nick. Good. Yeah, I was, just, I was just listening to your story, Cam, and um, that's brilliant what you're doing, mate. And, I work for a business called Steigen. I don't know whether you've heard of us, but we produce socks and, and sports apparel. I'm keen to get you decked out, mate, to um, to help out with your run, um, you and your, and your support staff. So if you're interested, mate, I can leave my, my details and, um, yeah, get in touch and we can uh, we can hook you up. Yeah, that'd be fantastic, mate. That's an amazing gesture. Beautiful, Nick. We appreciate that. We'll, uh, we'll make sure uh, you and Cam get connected, Steigen. I'm just on the uh, website there. I'll tell you what. Uh, Cam, I don't know what sort of time you're looking at running for your uh, for your marathon, but in these beauties, in this uh, in this apparel, you'll be knocking a couple of minutes off uh, for sure. So, Nick, thanks so much uh, for that offer. We'll make sure uh, Benny's got. Uh, we'll get your number, and we'll make sure you get linked up with Cam and uh, and set that up. So, we're much appreciative to Steigen S T E I G E N for some uh, for some gear to help Cam get through, and uh, it's forty two k's. For 42K, so we're aiming to raise uh, $42,000, $1,000 for every kilometre that Cam's going to run whilst pushing uh, Iggy in the pram. So, Cam, it's an amazing feat. I would love to be able to do it, but I physically cannot do it. I'm about to go for a run. I'm I'm aiming for 7K, so uh, I'm not quite uh, where you're at. But the website is pushingforpurpose.com. You've raised just over $20,000, so we need another 22000 to hit that goal. Uh, well done on everything uh, that you're uh, doing thus far, and uh, good luck for that big run on February 18. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate the time.
No worries. There's Cam Young pushing for purpose, doing great things uh, for people with disability. And uh, that's one that hits close to home for us. And uh, I know Cam from uh, from Kids Plus down there in Geelong. So he's going to run 42 kilometres, a full marathon, whilst pushing his little fella in a pram uh, on February 18. So if you're in that Geelong region around the uh, Ballerine, he's going to be running from Drysdale, uh, up uh, to the Geelong showgrounds and back. So if you're in the area, make sure you go down, give him a high five. I think they're definitely going to have a uh, a coffee van or a coffee and some uh, celebrations at the end of the run. So if you're in the Drysdale or, or uh, Ballerine area, make sure you get down and say well done because it'll be a magnificent feat. Cam Young was our guest.